You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show and welcome to our last episode for 2020. What a strange year we've had full of ups and downs. And I thought I would finish it with something a little bit different, something we've never done before. It is the eight things I've learned this year in the property market in Western Australia. And we'll start number one off with this theme, the data doesn't lie. And when I say that, what I really mean is that since the start of this year, we've been calling this new upswing. If you take COVID out of consideration, if you take the building grants, uh, the reality is the data has been moving this way for a good year now. And the cool thing about property is, it takes a long time for that data to come through. It takes a long time for that data to change as well. So when the tides shift, we get to a situation where the writing is on the wall. It might not be happening this month. It might not happen next month, but it's very clear that the demand supply swing, the relationship between buyers and sellers is shifting based on population growth, wage growth, and supply of properties available. And there's only one way that prices can go in that relationship swings. Now, we were calling it in January, February before COVID. COVID obviously was a bit of a blip on the radar, but the data was moving in that direction. And it's quite interesting to see how regardless of the downside risk of COVID and the upside risk of the grants, really we're seeing an exacerbated level of exactly the position we plan to be in uh, from the start of the year. So uh, most importantly, that demand and supply relationship has not changed. It's, it's pretty much bang on where we expected it to be. Okay, number two, we have a chronic rental vacancy rate issue. Now, this is something that's been exacerbated by the moratorium on rental evictions. Now, what it's doing right now is synthetically shifting the normal market dynamics of the rental market in that normally when prices go up, people would start to shift out, they start to shift in and things would balance out a long time. But by not allowing landlords to kick tenants out, by not allowing them to put rents up, what it's going to do is create what is really quite a dangerous and concerning shift at the end of March. March 31st with the last day that landlords cannot kick tenants out, the last day that rents won't be rising. So on the 1st of April, there's going to be what I'm considering a real structural social welfare problem in that whilst we'll have rental vacancy rates at 0.7, where it is at the moment, which is chronically undersupplied already, we're then going to have a situation where a massive number of people in similar vulnerable situations are going to be kicked out of their homes and they will then be on the market at the same time looking for properties, competing with everyone else that's been looking for the last couple of months in February and March as well. Now, if these are people that are being kicked out, they're not being retained by their existing landlords. It's either because they're not the most desirable tenants or because they can't pay market rates. And what that means is they're going to struggle when it comes to the open market looking for a new place. That's going to create some social housing problems and I hope the government is prepared for that because if not, we're going to have a big, big homelessness problem coming up soon. And that's not even considering really the issue we've got with the vacancy rate being below 1% in the first place. We haven't seen this vacancy rate in 40 years. So our whole, our generation, our government is not prepared for what's going on and they've got three months to figure it out. So in that time, I would suggest that landlords uh, try and do the right thing, have some early conversations with their tenants. If they are good tenants and they're long-term tenants, it's probably in your best interest financially to keep them if they can stay at the rate that you're looking to uh, charge them based on market rent at the time. So don't go overboard. 
have a chat to your local real estate agent or property manager if you've got one. Get an understanding of what that market rate is at the moment, uh, what it will be in March, uh, and, and then have a real frank conversation with the tenants. The last thing you want is a whole bunch of tenants uh, out on the street for no good reason. What it's going to do uh, really is add more pressure to our social welfare system. If you can help along with that problem by having some early conversations, either way, either the tenant's going to have some time or you're going to have the time to be able to min-max the gap in between of your vacancy rate, which might be a week or two, when uh, getting a new tenant in at a higher rate. So prepare for it. Uh, I'm doing that myself and everyone out there should be too. Lesson number three, not even COVID could halt the improving market dynamics. Now, we were all in a situation at the start of April. It was about a two-week period there, a fortnight of everyone in Perth freaking out. We're all in lockdown, wondering what's going to happen to the market. Are we going to have our rents paid? Are we going to have to pay our own rent? Uh, and that's in the residential and commercial space. What's going to happen to property prices, irrespective of the fact that they've been improving through the first quarter like we hadn't seen in five years? The reality is, even before the building boost came in and threw some butane on the fire that was already kindling away, the market was recovering pretty quickly out of COVID. The second that home opens could come back in, transaction numbers started picking back up to five, 600 a week, uh, which was straight back up into the January numbers. And before the building boost, it was hitting seven, 800 a week already. So those dynamics of COVID could not even stop what was going on uh, being that tight demand-supply uh, relationship. And that was mainly at the time based on the really, really tight supply relationship in the rental market that flowed through into the sales market. The second people started coming home, getting on the plans and retreating back to Western Australia, that's where it really shifted into gear on the demand side as well. Um, and that is reflected in the transaction numbers per week. It's a clear linear relationship, the amount of demand. It is reflected in our weekly transaction numbers. Last year, we were sitting about 550 transactions a week. In the first quarter of 2020, we were rising up to seven, 800 transactions a week before COVID and then dropped down to 250 for a couple of weeks in April, which is what we normally would have in the Christmas period. Then it came straight back up to five, six, seven hundred a week and recovered to the same direction, the same trajectory that we were running before COVID. So that two, three week period there, that essentially was uh, lost transactions that were made up for very quickly heading in through May and June. Lesson number four, the building grants were unnecessary and have caused huge structural issues in the construction market also putting massive risk on the equity position of existing land estates. That's a pretty big one. I'll break that down for us. Those building grants, the second that the federal ones came in, that was probably enough. There was a consensus around the construction industry that the 25000 really was enough to get people off their bums, talking to builders and discussing a, a build, whether it was the house and land or in the infill area. But that extra $20,000 that the state government put through really just set uh, the market alight to a point where created massive problems in the industry. We didn't have enough staff, enough sales staff, enough draftees, estimators, and we're certainly not going to have enough tradies on site to push all this through in an orderly manner. It's going to be a, a few delays, I think, for a lot of people out in the land estates with the big project builders where they treated like numbers, unfortunately. And that's also created some issues already around that risk of people may hopefully being able to get their foundations down before June 30. But more importantly, what we noticed is that it was a really a little bit of a false economy there. What's happened is 
The builders have put through about a year's worth of work in three months. And even if you got in early, signed a quote with your project builder and then move forward, if you didn't get to site within the specified period of time and you were still looking to get finance in November, December, no doubt you had your build contracts in June and July revised and increased by 15, 20% at least. And that, that pretty much has eaten away all of the benefit that consumers were looking to grab from the 20 and the 25 all that money has gone towards an increased margin in the project builders and also an increased day rate or brick rate uh, with the tradies along the way. So unfortunately, the reality is as much as this has been marketed as uh, you know, free money for consumers, for the public, all of it effectively has gone towards lining the pockets of tradies and builders. And really, that's the reality. That is what the government was looking to do is prop up the building industry, prop up the tradies along the way. It is a labor government after all. And what they've done is really looked after that industry. Is it good for the market? Well, yes, it is because it has essentially generated just as much GST along the way in that generation of uh, projects of work. And unfortunately for a lot of people, a lot of clients, a lot of consumers, they are really the meat in the sandwich that have been used as the vehicle for pushing this money through to uh, small businesses and big businesses alike being the big building companies. Now, the second part of this is if you are an existing owner of a property in a land estate, this is going to be hell for you, unfortunately. You were already in a market in, in a suburb, I guess, that was oversupplied with cookie-cutter products that looked just like yours and your property was probably 15 or 20% undervalued compared to what you had paid for it even three, four years ago. Now, what happens when the thousands and thousands of newer houses with the newer style comes in that are just three by twos with a theater like yours down the road? Well, your house continues to supersede like an old car and their property will start off in negative equity as well. Unfortunately, it is all those people who have gone in and essentially been consumers of these house and land packages in the land estates. They are copying it massively. They will lose, but more so the people who already own established property in these land estates. They are the real victims of this, unfortunately. It has essentially thrown uh, more tinder on the fire, caused a chronic oversupply of property to become even more chronic out in the suburbs. And unfortunately, I don't see a way out for a lot of people in those areas. They will be stuck there for a very long time. The benefit really of the grants for developers, which I know is a lot of people listening to this podcast, is really what it's done is it's acted as a rebate. For all of our clients who have been able to secure the grants before the 31st of December, what we noticed was the build contracts really increased by 10 to 15%. On a triplex, for example, it has increased you know, sixty to $90,000. And from that, really, we've been looking at a $60,000 rebate of three lots of $20,000 coming back at slab down, which will pay for most of the subdivision costs along the way. Really, there's really no benefit. And we noticed that from the start. These are just keeping us in the game for another six months. Uh, I guess the big concern or the challenge we're going to have in early 2021 at least is that build prices will stay high and we'll really need to be looking for those sales prices of our units on the way out to have increased after Christmas so that the numbers start to work again the way that they have been with the rebate of the grants at the moment. Okay, lesson number five, records are there to be broken and my God, they have been broken. In the last month, we have had three huge records broken. I've spoken about one already. That is the rental vacancy rate. We are at 0.8% and that is a 40-year low. 
Uh, most people in the game have not played in a market with a rental vacancy rate this low. If you are a landlord and not positively geared, you have the worst investment in, in Perth. You need to be positively geared or you are overpaying for your mortgage, one of the two. And if you're an investor looking to get in the market, well, uh, tell you what, the assessment rates are low, the rents are high, and you really should be able to afford a lot more than the banks were letting you afford last year. So have a crack, have a look and see what you can loan for. If you have the equity, which is starting to build back up into people's book value portfolios, again, you might have an opportunity to get back in. The second record we hit this month was the Stockholm market record. It's one that is a decade-breaking record. In the third last Last week of the decade, in the second week of December, we hit sub 10,000 properties on the market and it is a very strange feeling. We're actually now even further down in low 9,000s, which is unbelievable. We haven't seen that number since the boom. The crazy thing about this is that normally you see this really starting to charge up midway through at the back of a boom as well. This is the start of a boom. Where that number continues to go, I don't know. The reality is we really hadn't been building much last year. Not much is coming online right now. And anyone that's starting to build now is probably 18 months away from completion to be able to sell and add product to the market. So unless more sellers decide to get in the market and sell, which is possible given prices are rising, we are going to see quite a tight market for quite a while, especially given the fact that there are more buyers in the market than there has been in seven years and that is the last record the transaction numbers the 90-day rolling transaction numbers in late november hit a seven-year high of over 10,000 transactions in 90 days and that is nuts so we've got the lowest amount of property in a decade and the highest amount of demand in seven years with the lowest amount of rentals available in 40 years all happening in the same quarter of the same year at the start of a new boom now, if those record-breaking numbers don't paint a picture for next year, I don't know what does. And that brings me to my sixth lesson. My sixth lesson for 2020 is that 2021 is going to be an absolute gangbuster whirlwind year that we have not seen in at least a decade. Uh, I'm calling it now. I'm not normally one to be too inflationary about my thoughts. I'm quite a hopeful person. I'm quite an optimistic person. And that has really been my commentary uh, throughout most of the year is that there's an optimism, uh, especially in the start of the year. Uh, but really, the data doesn't lie. 2021 is going to be a strong year. And there are pros and cons, obviously, for people in that. If you're a seller, you know, we'll talk about that in a second. It is a year for you to really get engaged in the market and see where you're happy jumping off your investment as a seller. As a buyer, it really starts to become one that's quite uncomfortable for a lot of people because they're no longer in control. As a buyer's agent, in my job, had it pretty easy in the last few years. As long as we had a client to buy for, we had a property to buy and we were able to buy it at the price we wanted to, probably lower even than the price we were expecting to have to. Now, the market has shifted and our service really is less about getting the cheapest price because that dynamic really is in the seller's hands and it's more about identifying off-market property. 23 of our last 25 purchases have been properties no one's even seen on the market. They've been off-market straight to us and that's probably our service going forward is being able to identify properties at fair prices that are off-market that don't get in uh, the inflationary measure of competition put on them from being at an auction or sitting on a set date sale, which you see a lot more of in 2021, I think. So yes, 2021 is going to be gangbusters. Pros and cons, I guess, to that. The good side is a lot less downside risk, if not, if not no downside risk in the first 20 kilometers of the city. We're just going to see growth. It'll be growth, growth, growth uh, based on 
increased demand that we haven't seen from increased immigration we haven't seen in at least five years. Supply that stays low because we just haven't been building enough in the last year or so uh, and interest rates that are lower than ever. You put those three together, prices can only go one way and they are going that way already. Lesson number seven, it's now a seller's market. It's very much across the board now, across most suburbs. Anything that is not a land estate on the urban expanses, it is now a seller's market. And we couldn't even say that in August, for example. It was still a mixed market in August where uh, certain suburbs were certainly sellers and certain suburbs were probably still buyers. Now, it's very much a case where if you're a seller, you're in control. If you're a buyer, you need to find ways to not compete with the other buyers at the table. Unfortunately, that is the market, but you know, the sellers have been waiting for a long time now. It really is a question now as a seller as to when do you tap out? And if you are looking to upsize or downsize, recognizing that the longer you wait to sell, the harder it's going to get for you to buy. We're at the start of this cycle now. It's not going to get any easier, in my opinion, for a good two to three years at least. So if you're looking to upsize, especially into a, a property that is more expensive, well, that's only going to grow as a quantum by larger amounts than the property you've currently got. So you probably want to get out and move on as soon as you can, especially if you're moving into those blue chip areas. They always move first to the strongest at the start of the market. So get on that, uh, make those decisions pragmatically. And my last lesson for 2020, guys, the rules of property investment haven't changed. Just because the market dynamic has shifted and there's less downside risk doesn't mean we get emotional about our purchases. It doesn't mean we let FOMO get into our decision making. Sure, you know, pay the extra five, 10 grand if you have to, especially if it's a lifestyle product for yourself. If that is a long-term hold for you, especially with more upside risk than downside risk in the market. But don't be one of those ridiculous buyers that goes and pays 10, 15% above what everyone else thinks it's worth. You're embarrassing yourself at the end of the day and you're only going to put massive risk on your investment if at some point in time in the next year or so, the market does actually calm down and cool down. You'll be the one left holding the baby. So still fight for every dollar you can on the buyer's side. Recognize that if you want to fight for it, you may lose it to someone else but work pragmatically without emotion. And if you lose this one, there will be another one soon. On the development side especially, recognize that this is not as much of a comfortable situation than it was last year, for example. You're going to be paying a little bit more to buy that site you bought a year ago or two years ago, possibly 10% more at least. You're going to be paying at least 10 to 15% more for a build. So when you're doing your feasibilities, don't be surprised when a triplex starts starting with a $700,000 mark for three single units, for example. Don't be surprised if the townhouse triplex, for example, moves into the seven-figure mark. It's where the market was back in the boom. It's where it's already heading. We're not getting grants anymore. Be sure to do your homework still on the planning side. Try and stay away from the public open space contributions and the outline development plan contributions and the slope and the bad soil, just like we always do. And also make sure that you're looking for the hottest markets for your downsizer product, for your investment sales products, because that's where you're going to be able to scale the most revenue on the back end to make up for the extra cost you're going to have to be spending along the way. This is not a too risky market to get in. It's probably for a lot of people the perfect time to get in because there's a lot less downside risk. You're just going to have to be a bit more fluid, more flexible because things aren't going to be working exactly in your favor along the way until you get to that sale like it used to a year ago. Guys, these are my reflections on 2020. 
Has it been a good year? It's been a nuts year. It's, it's probably been the best year, I guess, most people in property have had for a long time in terms of de-risking their sales, in terms of uh, opportunities moving forward. On the finance side, it's never been so active for most mortgage brokers in, in Perth. The settlement side is chronically undersupplied in settlement agents and chronically uh, over-demanded by people given all the transactions have doubled really since last year. So they're working hard. The builders, obviously, they're tapped out for you know, probably the next couple of months still and most sales reps on the building side are you know, out of work really being told to sit on ice until they can come back and sell homes again. At the end of the day, real estate agents, are, are you know, they're struggling to find listings. When you've got half the amount of properties on the market, it's twice as hard to get a listing. But when you do, it sells in the space of a week or two. So dynamics are changing. Work is essentially the same way for most people. If you work hard and you're smart about your investments, you should still make money at the end of the day. The fundamentals don't change. Be close to these four things and you have a good investment property. Close to water, being rivers and ocean. Close to the city, that's where everyone generally likes to work and hang out. Close to cafe strips and activity centers. And finally, close to the best state schools. If you can get all four or at least get two or three of those four, you have a good investment property, good location. You should see growth over the next year in 2021. Guys, thanks for a great year to all of our direct clients. It's been fantastic working with you. To those who haven't popped their head up, maybe next year will be the time we can meet. Uh, and to those who are simply listening along as an avid investor from anywhere around the world, it's been really fantastic seeing the massive growth in listeners in 2020. Uh, we look to double that again in 2021. Guys, thanks a lot. I love you all. appreciate all the hard work that you all put in asking questions of us too and also giving the great feedback. Have a fantastic new year. We'll see you again in 2021. Ciao. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!